welcome to Prairie Doc Radio. We are glad that you're listening and hope that you'll call us with your questions at 692-1430. Dr. Rick Holm is our medical editor, and he is here today to take your questions. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Joni. So uh, the topic for tomorrow night is the perils of aging. It's an interesting group we have. Of course, we have Dr. David Brechtelsbauer, who has been the head of the Department of Geriatrics for at the USD Sanford School of Medicine for many years, this, the residency, the family practice residency, actually. And uh, with him is Victoria Walker, who is the uh, doctor, the medical uh, director for um, Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. Good Sam, which is an inter- which is a national organization. You know, there's many nursing homes uh, uh, coordinated and care- and provided by Good Samaritan, but the center for Good Samaritan, the home office, is in Sioux Falls, which is interesting. I mean, that's a and South Dakota uh, a corporation. Where Dr. Walker. Dr. Walker, what about Re- Dr. That's, and she resides there. So and she, she resides there, yeah. And, and she's guest. the medical director of all of the good SAMs throughout mm-hmm. the country. And the third guest is coming by Skype, a, a nurse, a hospice nurse, Maggie Callanan, who is the author of the book Final Gifts, and, uh, and, uh, and also another book she's written. I haven't read that one called Final Journey, but Final Gifts I've read. Uh, I, I was asked to review that uh, book uh, by the Journal of the American Medical Association and write a review article for the mm-hmm. JAMA, and I did. And, uh, you know, I was critical as I'm reading it. I'm thinking, well, you know, she should have said this. and she sh- Actually, there are two nurses that did it, but she's the major person. And, uh, and then when I wrote the report, I really appreciated everything that, she was doing and the things that she had said and um, and so I called her and said you know after I did the review actually she she called me to thank me for a nice review in the Journal of the American Medical Association and and, uh, and I said you know we should get you on this TV show one of these days it's been about five years now <laughs> and finally we got her on for tomorrow night so it'll be interesting well this is a topic that everyone can understand and appreciate because we are all aging we many of us uh, may have elderly parents so we hope that everyone will tune in Thursday evening seven o'clock I know that's the last men's basketball game I heard so we'll lose our basketball audience but we have statewide audience so we'll hope you will turn into public TV and learn and send in your questions to that Um, now we did have a question that Bob got um, that was called in. Maybe we should go ahead and take well, that let's question. Take it. Sure. Bob, would you do you have it? Would you? Yeah. It? It, uh, somebody wanted to know. Would you please ask Dr. Holm why I should get a shingles vaccination? I don't have an age of right. this person. Well, uh, the 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 age is sixty, and after sixty, uh, you should have a shingles vaccination. One should do you, uh, is the word. Although I think there's some question about that and. There, there's some debate about whether after 10 years you should, you should have a second one. But 
I it, thought there was a brand new one that just came out and is more effective. Do you know anything about that? No. Uh, you're mm. thinking you're thinking Am pneumonia. I pneumonia. Oh, yeah. okay. See, there's two shots for pneumonia. That's another story. And I and well, I'll stick talk with shingles. Well, and then we'll go back to pneumonia too because it's okay. a very important point. But have we taken the first break? We haven't taken the first break. And there's this fabulous uh, personality voice on the other uh, giving that first break. So here it must be coming here. All right. Well, we're going to give you a chance to call in at 692 1430 with your questions, and we'll take our first. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We're glad you're listening. This is Joni Holm, and we have Dr. Rick Holm in studio. And we want to finish up with the thought on why we should get a shingles vaccine. And the answer is. Uh, it reduces the the incidence of of shingles, you know, something like fifty percent. It doesn't take it away, but it does reduce the incidence in half or more. The second reason is because it reduces the severity when shingles hit you. Uh, I had an uh, uh, older uh, friend, patient, woman, who came down with shingles uh, uh, maybe a year after she'd had her shingles vaccine. Well. It was just a couple, three, four days, and it was gone. No problem, no pain. The problem with shingles is that you have this rash that kind of wraps itself around. It's a, sort of a, a teardrop on a rose petal. It's a little blister on a red base. And you can see a bunch of them, and they spread in a band on the neuroderm, on the skin that follows the nerve and it is really an infection of the nerve and that's the real rub because in particularly as you get older you, there there's severe pain associated with that and sometimes the pain never goes away some most of the time it'll diminish the pain will be there and it'll gradually get worse or less over time but um, the reason for the shingles vaccine is to avoid the major complication of shingles which is post-herpetic neuralgia or after the shingles pain shingles is caused by the herpes virus right it's a it's a viral infection it's a it's like the it's related to cold sores only it's a, a different dif a little bit different there is a new vaccine um, it, that has just come out and is called shingrix and it's a two-shot vaccine for ages 50 and over uh, and I don't know more about it, but I thought I had heard of it, and indeed there is a new one. So we'll be getting more data and bring that back to our radio audience. It is recommended for people who even have had the other vaccine. Okay. I think there may be an it, increased effectiveness, but, you know, but it's early data, and I, I need to research it more. And you know what? I don't, I, I don't begrudge research going on and improvement of the things that they have. Let's take that uh, the, the pneumonia vaccine vaccination uh, for example uh, we know that little kids have been getting pneumonia vaccine for many years and uh, we started doing a pneumovax in adults some 15 years ago ha question just came in the 15 years ago pneumovax uh, vaccine is different than the uh, the the childhood uh, pneumonia or the baby Right, Prevnar 13. Prevnar. Uh, so Prevnar covers more and it covers different. 
Uh, and so uh, the Prevnar salespeople came up saying, oh, gosh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. You know, you've got to do it. And I was very uh, uh, sort of... Uh, skeptical? Mm, skeptical is the right word. And the uh, long and the short of it is it is a better uh, vaccine than pneumovax in some ways, but it isn't as complete in another. And so what they... Uh, the the experts in the world have said is that you need both so you get the prevnar first wait a year and get the pneumovax and so if you've had the pneumovax already wait a year and get the prevnar and you get one of each and the and uh, medicare will cover it so we're in favor of that very important it's, uh you know but you know the most important way for the elderly not to get this terrible illness called pneumonia that kills you it generally follows a flu uh which is what i've got right now i mean uh, and mm. not influenza but a cold upper respiratory infection yeah. it generally follows an upper respiratory infection uh the uh, uh this pneumonia is a bacterial infection and it kills people but the most effective uh, uh vaccination against elderly getting pneumonia is all those little kids getting Prevnar, <laughs> and then the kids don't spread pneumonia to the adults. Well, and that so, along with hand washing. Yes. So if you're messing with the little kids and you're an older person whose immune system is compromised, it's a good idea to wash your hands, use Purell. Uh, thank you, Bob. <laughs> he hands me a, a squirt bottle of Purell uh, hand sanitizer. Yes. <laughs> we have some questions that have come in, but let's take our second break, and that will also afford you time to call us at 692-1430, and we'll be right back with Prairie Doc Radio. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joni Holm filling in for Joan Hogan, and we have Dr. Rick Holm in studio. We are a medical show that answers your questions. If you'd like to call in at 692-1430, uh, let's start with this question that we just received, and you were uh, hinting upon it a minute ago, Rick. Uh, this caller has had an upper respiratory infection, and they've been coughing for two weeks. Well, they're getting really tired of it. That, that's my editorial. Um, but they're wondering if they're still contagious. Probably not. The real contagious time is a day or two before you get sick. So when you have no idea that you're sick. And, and when you're during coughing. that first uh, fever, ache all over, uh, uh, everything hurts, uh, excessive mucus uh, period of time. Uh, generally, that's about three days, two days. And then that goes away, and you have a dry, hacky cough that lasts a week to three weeks. Let's talk about when a person should get alarmed. I mean, you have had this, and it's been going on and on, and, um, you know, often people sail through it. But what, is, what are signs and symptoms that they need to come in? I think the major thing that you, well, the secondary fever the second time you get a fever, okay, you have that fever, you ache all over, and then it gets better, okay? We know you're sick. You've got viremia. It's going through your bloodstream, and that's why you ache all over. And that might be the first day or so. Yeah, first day or two, all right? Then that goes away. Um, and then maybe three days later, you come up with a, a fever and an ache all over again, 
that's a bad sign. But it could be even later than three days, couldn't it? I could mean, be it could five be, days. It could be eight days. Yeah. You know, it could be time, sometime anytime. later in your illness. Right, right, right. So you've had this injury to your lung. It sets you up for pneumonia. You get pneumonia, and then the subsequent uh, bacterial uh, infection in your bloodstream. Well, you're you're very sick. Uh, and I can tell you how that feels. Have, have Looks you? like Bob has a question there. Yeah, yeah, I do. I was going to ask you. You know, we see a lot of over-the-counter medications, especially mm-hmm. now. And if you have virus in your lungs, okay, yeah. your body produces mucus to coat it and to help you cough it out. Is that the yeah. mechanics? Right. Why would you want to take Mucinex or some of these other over-the-counters then that would prevent you from coughing <coughs> to bring that stuff up? Wouldn't that be counterproductive? Right. Ask me what cough medicines I'm using. I'm guessing probably honey and lemon juice. Yeah. Coffee, tea, uh, and that's it. Uh, Tylenol. Uh, I'll take some Tylenol. I've taken nighttime Tylenol, maybe three of these last week, this week of illness. Uh, uh, I can tell you what I did. I've stopped being able to hear out of my right ear. Uh, Part of it was the coughing. I'm coughing and I'm bringing up stuff, okay, but I'm coughing too violently you know i'm trying to get that stuff out of there and i have an underlying kind of a low kind of a low sensitive asthma as a kid i had asthma so good thing i didn't smoke Uh, but um, when i get ill like this uh, with a respiratory infection you know i'm trying to clean up that stuff well i'm coughing so hard that i'm ramming it into my eustachian tubes plugging my ear I, i and i came in to see joni and oh, by the way, there's Deb Johnston. Dr. Johnston is such a joy. And I said, Deb, would you just kind of look into my ear? I'm really not hearing well. I don't know if it's infected or just plugged. And it hurts. And it hurts. And she said, oh, you have an infection. Started me on an antibiotic, which is not what I wanted, but that's what she did. But that kind of speaks to the fact that you were going cruising along with this infection you know you felt okay but you're coughing but you got worse something changed and that's when you had it checked i deteriorated after four or five days into the illness and that's why i got checked and that's an important lesson i'm thinking i'm really glad we talked about it right and i want to quickly talk about children in that um same thing holds true that you've got you know low-grade temp they're maybe a little irritable uh they're coughing but you you've got that mom dad sense that they're okay if something changes and particularly the breathing you know babies just have little airways and so when you get a lot of mucus in those airways if they start struggling to breathe if you're seeing their ribs sink in if you're sinking seeing above or below their sternum sinking in if they're having trouble sucking on the bottle or nursing because they can't coordinate the breathing with all their congestion that's when they need to be checked sometimes that oxygen level drops and so we want to see those kids but you like to suck the mucus out with those little bulb syringes yes or there's some even better ones now that you can get yes a little battery operated there's one that has a uh sounds awful but it has kind of a straw that parents use but it has a valve that of course they can't keep the mucus from getting into the the parents mouth it's way i think and i haven't used them myself but i think from talking (laughs) to parents that we've got a much more effective tool now than those crummy little bulb syringes that we've used for the last hundred years it reminds me of the last time i tried to draw uh 
gas out of my, my somebody else's gas tank because I needed a gallon and they were offering a gallon and so I did the old suck the thing and then get a mouthful of gasoline. You know, this won't allow you to this do that. This won't have the mouthful of no, mucus. No, this is called okay. uh, Nose Frida and so I nose do, Frida? do um, recommend that people use something like that along with the nasal saline drops A little to cheaper help. than the battery operated then, version um, of that. Actually. No, it's not expensive either, surprisingly. Good. We do have another question, but perhaps we should take our last break and then we'll be back for our question. Call us at 692-1430. Hi, this is Joni Holm with Prairie Doc Radio and we have Dr. Rick Holm in studio. I'm going to go to this next question. I think we've covered that respiratory illness quite well. Um, this person calling in ha- is asking about a tetanus shot, and is it important to get one after 10 years? And should they should they rush in after their 10 years uh, to get another tetanus mm-hmm. shot? I kind of like I, you know somewhere every 10 years, somewhere in between there, uh, seven to 10 years after the last time you got a tetanus shot, people. Uh, get a cut of some kind or whatever, and then they get another tetanus shot. Uh, and if you just kind of, when was your last tetanus shot? Seven to ten years. Okay, time to get another one. Should they get a tetanus shot after ten years? I really do believe they should, and we should monitor that. Uh, you can ask your doctor or nurse practitioner or PA when you're in the next time. When was my last tetanus shot? It's been ten years. Time to get another one. And why would that? Be. Well, it, it's generally tetanus and diphtheria. And diphtheria is a bad illness that is real and around. And tetanus is a even worse illness of, uh, we used to call it lockjaw, where everything gets too tight and it's a viral infection and a person gets, uh, 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 it's not a viral infection, I mean it's a bacterial infection, but you have a rate, a neuro toxicity and the nerves get too irritable. So <clears throat> uh, my point is is that yes, 10 years, get your tetanus shot. Another thing to think about, and you, you touched on it, is the diphtheria. The old vaccine we gave to kids was the DTAP, and that's diphtheria tetanus acellular pertussis. Now we have a vaccine that's opposite. It's called Tdap, and it's tetanus diphtheria. They just changed the percentage of the vaccine tdap should be given to all teenagers and anybody who's going to be around a new baby so mom and dad when when mom is pregnant dad's going to come in and get a tdap before that baby's born the reasoning is that babies are at risk for dip, for tetanus that T part mm-hmm. of the vaccine, and they're too young to get the vaccine themselves until they started at two months. So we want, as parents and teenagers that are babysitting, we want you to have a booster of your Tdap, your uh, tetanus. Excuse me, no pertussis in particular. Oh, pertussis. S- pertussis, so that you are protecting uh, that newborn. T-D-A-P, P, pertussis. But, you know, the major thing is the point that we made, I mean, I made that point earlier about pneumonia in a little kid, the Mm -hmm. pneumonia vaccine in kids protecting the elderly. We take these vaccines for ourselves, but we also take them 
to protect the people around us that we care about. I mean, you know, you just don't want to spread illnesses. Bob. Joan, I want to ask you, if, if I can, is pertussis the same as whooping cough? Yes. And yes. is that still around? And how severe is that? It can be very severe. Um, fortunately, we don't see it much because we have a good vaccination rate in our state. It does occur occasionally, particularly uh, in areas where there might be a religious reason or a personal reason not to get that vaccine and then someone else outside of that community may be exposed. Uh, so it is an important vaccine to get. Um, and, and I'm talking about protecting that baby. Influenza, you know, right now when we've got such an outbreak and a severe influenza season, babies are at risk and they cannot have their first vaccine until six months of age. So if you are around a newborn, consider the please fact get if the you, flu. well, and if you have the flu, stay away. Yeah, wash your hands, but please get the flu shot. I mean, it's 36% effective this year. Not very good, but it's better than nothing. What about if you're a nursing mother that's had uh, an influenza vaccination? Mm -hmm. Can you pass the immunity on to your nursing child? Yes. Yes, and, and we do all pregnant women uh, they're one of the high-risk groups that we give the um, vaccine to, the influenza vaccine. So we do think there is some cross-sensitivity, some uh, so that so that is important that babies will get a little of that um, from mom. But there's still a, a great risk, and you know, babies are like the elderly; their immune systems are are kind of waking up, and where we don't, they're not totally protected yet. And, and you know what? The, that's another reason to try to encourage people to breastfeed. Uh, for at least as long as they can, you know, three mm -hmm. months or six months. A or year. A year. And that is that the immunity that you as a parent carry is given and, and provided to that child in a passive manner until a child's immune system kind of kicks in. And I'd say uh, in our community, we have a really high rate of breastfeeding. It's just awesome. It's, I. I'm very happy uh, that m moms have embraced this. Now, if you are bottle feeding, that's perfectly fine, and it's a healthy thing for your baby as well nutritionally, but there is something very special about breastfeeding. And uh, with our hospital and the the um, initiative they have for has, breastfeeding, it's really been quite very powerful. good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you, can't, if you can't breastfeed your child, do not be burdened by the guilt of not no, being no, able no. to do it. Do as well as you can if it doesn't work. Okay, there's the alternatives. So okay. we got another question. We do have another it? question. Um, this person says, why won't insurance pay for a tetanus shot? Now, I think that's certainly going to be an individual for for different insurance companies because I don't think that's an across-the-board no. question. Well, I, I have no great answer for that. They sure, certainly should. So, uh, certainly they should if it's due. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, we can't expect... Uh, insurance companies uh, to to do everything the, the the right thing. They are trying to save their money so they can have a lower price. It's one more reason why I don't know that I'm that excited about continuing the insurance system of healthcare financing. Uh, but I will say this: that some insurance companies don't pay. I I presume I didn't. I wasn't aware that they weren't. They should. Uh, certainly, uh, vaccinations would, it makes all the sense in the world. If I were an insurance company, I would provide vaccinations because it prevents a much more expensive problem down the way. 
That, so if you're going to save money and that was your only motive, which shouldn't be your only motive, we but just, if it is your motive, that you should still go the vaccination route. Or I just recorded ads, which you will hear, you, you listeners will hear uh, next week, a new ad about the HPV vaccine. Boy, a vaccine that prevents cancer. Yeah, can you believe that? That is extremely valuable and safe. Not, not to mention preventing um, um, uh, v- venereal warts is the right, the old way of calling it. And so people out there who've heard that, you know, warts in the genital area. I mean, that's why people get cervical cancer, because of warts on the cervix. And they're carried sexually. Uh, and so there it is. But um, it's something that we hope that it won't be stigmatized with. We're worried about my 11-year-old, where it's the age that we're would like to see this vaccine given that I'm not going to give it to them because they're not sexually active. That's not the point, folks. Well, the point is this well, is they'll a, never they'll be more sexually active if they've had this vaccination. Wow, that's they're going to be sexually active people. That's the way of the human being, you know. So get that vaccine. Your 11 and 12 year old is not even going to ask what it's for. They they aren't asking what that DT, what that Tdap is for. And so if you're worried about getting into a sexual conversation, forget about it. Just give that vaccine and protect your child. So that whenever in the long-term future they won't have to deal with a a real cancer that's still happening and uh, it prevents that particular cancer, cancer of the penis, cancer of the vagina, and uh, cervix. Well, you think about, uh, back to the insurance question, boy, insurance companies ought to be running to pay for that because if it prevents the expenses of a, a later cancer, yeah. it's a very that. worthwhile. And, of course, we're looking at the health of the person, not the expense of the insurance company. Right. The important part is that health. Yep. So uh, we, we are much. believers. We haven't talked much about uh, perils of aging. I want to do say, uh, do, uh, say this. One of the, the real perils of aging is an aggressive health system that won't let a person at the end of their life, when, it's, when, they're, when they're terminal, when they're obviously dying, to let them go. Uh, and in our new systems, uh, we are so good at keeping people alive uh, that we, we can keep them in that vegetative state forever, and uh, it's not a good thing. So I think one of the other things we'll be talking about is advanced directives tomorrow night. We're gonna talk about uh, people who are financially uh, taking advantage of the elderly, uh, the people who abuse, you know, the scams uh, that are out there. Boy, are there a lot of scams. And um, there are a lot of uh, physical abuse as well. The essay that I wrote is about physical and emotional abuse. So those are things coming. And uh, we've got, I think, two more minutes left. A very important topic for all of us uh, the the perils of aging. So we hope that you'll tune in to public mm-hmm. TV seven o'clock on Thursday evening. That's what my whole book is about. I'm writing a book. I'm not too far from being done, uh, and uh, we're, it's going to be how to avoid the perils of aging. I wonder if there might be anything about exercise in that. Oh, book. there just might be. <laughs> Boy, we took a walk last night, and uh, it was about six o'clock when we 
took a walk. I don't remember what the temperature was, 14 or something. Man, did I get cold. But we got a good two miles in. But you had a frostbite commercial for next yes, week as well. Frostbite. So you see, it, there it is. everything's my, connected, my, right? Yes, my toes were thinking about that frostbite issue <laughs> last night. Thank you very much for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. Thank, thank you, Jody, for filling in. And Bob, and stay healthy out there.